0: Also the Diogo's games like Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells are kind of derived to some degree out of the black hack. Yeah, you know, I I'm pretty sure he mentions the black hack in there, but it's not exactly the black hack. It's you, you know, he definitely puts his own spin and adds things to it. Um, so the black hack's like a simpler version of that, maybe. Maybe the kitty version of Diogo's games. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, This is the GMologist, GM the GMologist.
1: Thanks, Jason. That was Jason Connerly from Nerds RPG Variety Cast talking about Diego Nogueira's Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells. So yeah, and also, that was my new intro by TJ Drennan, composer extraordinaire. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be the new intro for the podcast, which is pretty cool. And uh, listen for the end for the cool uh, musical number that is the outro at the end of this podcast. So in this podcast, we're going to have more call-ins by Jason And then call-ins by a new caller to the show, Daniel Norton of The Bandit's Keep, who I guess we started calling in on each other's shows after we played in our Cyberpunk 2020 game run by Jason Connerly. So so pretty cool. He's got some really neat uh, comments, and I will reply to them in kind. Just like I will attempt to reply to Jason's and not stir up any controversy. So here we go. Here is uh, The Geomologist Presents. On top of that, we'll have a recap of tonight's Twilight 2000 4th Edition game. Uh, this is a game that has recently been created by Freya Legan, the Free League Publishing, and uh, it uses a really neat mechanic. Um, the survivors having escaped the Battle of Kalit, um as their division was broken up, I um, have picked on a couple other people who are not part of the U.S. military and have been for the last 11 or 12 days fleeing from Kalits heading towards the magical city of Krakow. And uh, we'll see what, how they do tonight. And I will put a recap at the end to bookmark, bookend this particular podcast episode. And then you'll hear the outro. Yay.
0: Hey Carl, Jason here. So just to let you know, I don't have any issue with importing the mechanics from other games. And I think those are all cool and smart things to do. What I was doing was a was kind of a a, a snide backhanded um, compliment where you sometimes we use the wrong term for a, a tribute. So it'll be like roll perception, but the game doesn't have perception. And then we're all looking on the character sheets. Where's perception? I don't see perception. Then Carl says, oh, well, whatever it is in this game, I mean awareness. And then we say, oh, okay, and we find the awareness skill. That's what I was saying. But I think all the things you talked about, importing the other mechanics into the games for things like chases or morale or things like that are, are really smart things, and I have zero issues with you doing any of that. So just figured I ought to clarify that.
1: Yeah, I guess I agree with you. That's the disadvantage of running and playing so many games is that you confound the terms because they're all – Freaking different in every single game, right? Perception in Pathfinder and D&D stuffs, awareness, I think, is Warhammer fantasy, maybe something else. Spot hidden in Call of Cthulhu, etc. etc. Yeah, it's uh, why don't they just call it perception? But at least you guys know what I mean, right?
0: Hey Carl, good recap. Yeah, I like the idea of what we're doing here. We're the GM does a complete recap of the game, including any rules, whatever, you know, whatever comments, and then the players in the game more or less just recap primarily what their character did, right? I'm not saying everybody has to do the recaps. I'm, I don't care how anybody else does recaps, but I do, do kind of like that, that setup. So, like, if Joe kind of recaps from Rain's point of view, and then Daniel kind of recaps from Morgan's point of view, and the GM kind of gives their overall point of view, I, I think that would be really cool, that dynamic. And then the same thing with other games we're in where the GM kind of gives the, the master overview and then maybe talks about mechanics and overall things and each player kind of goes from their POV. I, I think that might be a kind of cool way to do it. I don't know. Um, what do you think about that is is well, since we all have podcasts and we're all doing recaps for these things, it seems like that might be a good way to not step on each other's toes and all talk about the same thing.
1: Really? I agree. I think the more recaps, the better because we each remember something different. You remember the sequence is different. And uh, like, if you're the GM, then you have like a different, almost bird's eye view behind the screen view of what's going on. And you can add comments here and there, whereas from the player's point of view to recap of what you see in here, which is, you know, kind of like a, almost like a verbal short story from that character's point of view which i think is pretty cool and uh i I am enjoying the recaps i'm enjoying hearing your interpretation of what happened and uh with all the flaws and foibles if they're there and then i can respond or give my own comments for such things like um i really hope that people will listen to uh jason's uh recap of the twilight 2000 game which is on his uh Nerds Nerds RPG Variety Cast, um, the latest episode, which is episode 264, the one with the cool picture that he got um, from his Patreon, or a Patreon that he supports. So um, yeah, it's uh, really fun to do them in tandem or both, and sometimes they come out the same day, sometimes they don't, and that's okay, so I don't want you to feel like if I did the recap already that you don't do it or shouldn't do it because we see and hear different things. By the way, Carl, if you do follow
0: what Watsi is saying about the future of D&D, then your bemoaning about the lack of non-combat encounters will probably change because one of the things they talked about in their recent presentation was adventures and campaigns and you you know, modules having non-combat solutions to the problems where you'd be able to go through the whole module without, you know, combat. So it may be that that you're going to see those mechanics and not have to have all combat all the time. So that might be attractive to you. Um, And the other plus side is, as far as, like, 5e or any of those things, I don't buy that or own that or care about that system. So if you ran adventures from that system, then you wouldn't have to worry about me being spoiled on them.
1: I think sometimes in games, no combat or less combat is the best policy. Sometimes it's better to solve things without combat. Um, and it doesn't really matter what game. It just, I feel like, from 3.5, 3, 3.5 on, it should become super tactical. Uh, D&D at least. I mean, I know when I've been running BX um, even more recently, not way back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, that players still try to find ways to get the treasure without fighting um, which is a cool thing, I think. So why not? I mean, and I guess maybe it's just what is incentivized. So in the older versions of d d for example, you got XP for treasure and magic, so you really didn't have to fight because fighting didn't give you as much bang for your buck XP-wise. It's the treasure that gives you more bang for your buck for your effort. So, like in uh, three, five on, and maybe actually, and maybe second edition is when it started adding up a lot of XP for fighting. I um, will have to go back and research that. That. Uh, there's more more incentive to have combat and kill the monster because the accumulation of treasure was not as important in your advancement. So, you know, and then there's some games that you just don't want to get into a fight because it's really bad. Like I appreciate in the Twilight 2000 game that you guys have not set up combat where it's advantageous for you. So you have not really been shot at except for like once off camera. And uh, that's pretty cool, I think. Um, like we went over yesterday, your you know, your group's unit's combat under fire is impressive because you've been successful in moving and setting up camp and pushing away or setting up combats where um, you guys are going to win uh, for sure, right? Um, combat is very deadly in that game, so same thing, right? Maybe maybe that's that was the approach when we tried that. Um, Harn in space thing, was it called High Colonies? Like there was no combat at all until like the last session, and uh, and that was just like it was. It didn't have to be a combat, and it was again one of those. Well, we're gonna we set it up so that the uh, the bad guys uh, got injured and blown up, and we walked out and finished them off. But I guess you have to have a robust system for networking or and make role-playing more and more of an incentive. I don't know. I think I feel like Paizo does this in their adventure path where you can solve the situation non-combat wise and gain some XP. Um, but I'm, I don't know. I haven't really delved into 5e maybe in the new, the new adventure path that they have, the one that takes place in the Feywild, wild. They have more negotiation type advancement or no more negotiation skill based challenges as opposed to just uh, hacking things down but uh, you know some people just like to hack things down and that's i guess it's the depends on the group that you play with and, and what they want to do and what they want to get out of the game mm-hmm.
2: carl daniel from ben it's keep calling in uh, since i don't think i have any chance of catching up on all the various podcasts backs, backlogs that i've got behind on i've decided to jump forward to the most recent ones of people so i could at least be commenting in a uh, current way but uh you guys are talking about long-term versus short-term and I, I went through a period where i ran like tons of games like i just want to try a million different systems and i think that really helped me codify what kind of systems i liked but yeah i'm with you guys i prefer a longer term well, I guess to be more clear and frame this up, I still like to play like different systems as one shots or maybe two shots, but for the most part I like to run longer games. Like I'm not into the, you know, the 5 or 6 or 8 part mini campaign as much as I used to be. Not that I won't play in them, but I don't tend to run those. I either run my massive campaigns that I run or I do one shots. <laughs> I guess I'm an extremist.
1: Yeah, there's it definitely ebbs and flows for me. I much prefer a long-term campaign But that seems harder and harder to come by or to finish out. I mean, I've been fortunate that I've finished out some long-term campaigns, you know, like the Adventure Path or a really long story arc. But there's others that I'm disappointed that they kind of are on, you know, permanent hiatus. And I wouldn't mind picking those up again. And these include like a BX game set in the Broken Lands and the Known Worlds with the inspiration of, of the Orcs of Thar product. And um, yeah, we went for a long time with it. And then it just kind of suffered from people departing or dropping off or just having, I guess, other interests potentially. But um, And then I got into a series of one-shots. I did convention stuff um, right before the big pandemic. And I enjoyed doing the one-shots. But then, you know, I want more. I want more than what's there. And I think the two types of games I like, aside from the the other game, aside from the long campaign that I like, is I don't mind doing these mini arcs, but then we rotate the GM. So I really like our Thursday night group, and I hope, Daniel, that you continue on with this group so we can have you run something. Like, I ran some Deadlands, now we're doing the Cyberpunk. I guess we tried with Barbarians of Lemoria, but that game is cursed, as Joe Richter will tell you. Um, But I wouldn't mind, you know, someone else. I think Joe wants to run... Uh, some powered by the apocalypse thing next, so and then maybe we can even get the guy who doesn't have a podcast um, that has played with us on this Thursday and try to convince him to get a podcast, but he's he's got some good ideas and he's he's delving into the GM ship with 5 e and wants to do other things so um so yeah, I think that's a good good idea and a good group too, so we can always both play and run as a GM because I think you learn how to be a better GM by playing as well. Um, and that's my opinion and I don't know if you agree with that or not and it'd be cool to have a discussion about it but uh, hey Daniel thanks for calling um, and for being a first time caller probably not long time listener I'm guessing by <laughs> what she said but that's okay um, I love your stuff too and everyone who doesn't listen to Bandits Keep already that's listening to the Geomologist go listen to Daniel Norton and the Bandits Keep Daniel has another thing to say, I guess, in response to BJ's comment from a couple episodes earlier.
2: So I didn't catch the whole conversation, but about the live streaming. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but typically it, it, they wouldn't, you know, a company would be stupid to stop you from live streaming uh, playing one of their modules. I mean, you're basically giving them free advertising. So, yeah, I don't think that's really an issue. Um, same thing with reviews. You know, there's a kind of certain a fair use thing there. Um, you can't like play music, for instance, because the form of entertainment that people pay for with music is listening to music. So you can't play music because now you're taking revenue out of the hands of the uh, the distributor of the music, right? But if if the Paizo makes their money selling the Adventure Paths, you're not taking money out of their pockets by watching somebody else play it. Hopefully, you're still going to want to buy it. As far as like reading them ahead of time, yeah, I mean, me as a player, yeah, I tell people if I have played the module and then depending on the module, I may decide not to play it because I know too much, or I might feel like I can play it and not reveal. It really depends on, you know, the module.
1: I agree. I mean, yeah, I don't, I'm not a, don't have a problem with people running the streams. I guess I guess the unfortunate thing is that you really have to do your own homebrew, which I'm leaning more and more towards, or do something brand new that people haven't had a chance to look at so they can get all of the cheat codes in my opinion, you know, and some people, some people can watch a show, watch it, and you know, not meta, and some people have, that's kind of part of their plan, is that they will take information they find in these live streams, or whatever, and use it when they play the game, so it's like they, it's like part of their prep, it's like as if you were to go onto Wowhead, and look, you know, for Worlds of Warcraft, and Look for all the secrets for the quest and how you figure out this quest, right? It's the same thing, in my opinion. Um And and WoW, that's really not cheating because there's some, I guess, a data mine and there's so much information that WoWhead does. Maybe it is cheating. I don't know. Most people think it's not cheating, but then is it cheating when you do that in a role playing game? You find out, you know, what the secret answer to the riddle is in room 15 on level three. Mm, I don't know it's an ongoing question and a dilemma, you know, like I was asked to join a game recently and the, one of the questions that GM said, Hey, have you, uh, you might've read this, through this product already. And fortunately I have not, I have the product and I said, yes, I have the product, but I'm not going to read through it now that I'm going to play in it. Um, so very cool, but yeah, you got to ask that, you know, I guess you got to ask that part of your session zero or question, or even your pre session zero, um, if there is a, such a thing and if people believe in it, but, uh, yeah, uh, too much commonality, too much information. I guess that's part of it. Um, in this world that we live in now and, um, does it ruin it? I think it only ruins, ruins the game. If players or the GM figure it out or can find out or deduce that someone is, knows all the, all the secrets and the cheat codes. Um, or they announce it like it's happened to me before, unfortunately. But uh, hey, Daniel, thanks again for the calls, and we hope to hear from you again soon. So uh, last night, like I mentioned in the intro, I was going to, I did the intro earlier, but now I'm coming to the recap of my Twilight 2000 game. It is a 4th edition using Free League, Free Elegant rule set. And I I just say, I, I enjoy the rule set. It does some good things. I do like the dice mechanic for skills. It works pretty well. You have an attribute dice and a skill dice and you roll both of them together. And you're trying to get a 6 on the roll, which is similar but different to Savage Worlds where you need to get a 4 on the roll but you don't roll your attribute dice you just roll your skill dice and a d6. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the origin of that is, why you just don't roll attribute plus skill, but I guess because you could get you know, massive more result. Um, maybe they decided that you would just stick with the d6 as a wild dice in Savage Worlds. But that's a discussion for another time. So when we left the survivors of the Battle of Calis. Um, They're about 11-12 days out. They've traveled towards the magical city of Krakow and they stopped at a farm and they wanted to investigate the farm. At the farm they found that it was occupied by uh, three children from age 10 to 15. Uh, There was like, I think it was like a 15 year old boy and his two younger sisters. I think that's what I decided. I'm not sure. I'll have to look at my notes. But uh, the heroes had driven down in their truck. Uh, The survivors had hidden down in their truck, and that was uh, Sam, played by Jason Connerly, and Kasha, played by my wife. And then in the back of the truck was uh, Sergeant Grootz, played by um, another person who regularly plays in my games. And uh, they went down there. Kasha went up to the door, talked to the kids, kind of talked them down. They said that their parents had gone to Krakow and have not returned and told them to stay in fast. They'd lived them, lived, left them enough food and a shotgun, um, and they didn't want to leave because they're waiting for their folks to come back. But as the players were leaving or while they were discussing this with the kids, uh, Sam and Sergeant Grunts saw uh, a truck coming from the north. And it looked like a, a marauder band or a group of marauders. Um, and they called, uh, they, Sergeant Grunts jumped out of the truck and went to go to Akasha. They all jumped into the truck. And the marauders, four of them jumped out of the back of the truck and onto the field. Um, but then, you know, uh, when Sam drove the truck in towards them and then into the field, he spun around the barn. And they all jumped back into the truck to... Uh, give chase so you know um, as if the farmers were getting away or something like that preacher says hi by the way so that's where we left it last time uh, they called on the radio to the APC which is on the other side of a, of a hill uh, leading into the bowl where the, the kind of bowl mini valley where the, the farm was they radioed ahead and then Diaz had you know gotten on the on the APC and you know, with Ronson on top and then with Jonesy on a bike, uh, on his motorbike to the side, that kind of started cresting the hill. So Sam executed a very good maneuver. I did this kind of just a couple of drive checks and Sam got the better of it. I think what I'm deciding, there's really no guidelines. You just generally need one success on a task. But if you get an extra success, then it's a part of a special, it's like a raise. And I give him a, like a little flare or a little special or he can execute um, not just the maneuver that he's trying to do, for example, in the drive check, but does some, is able to do something else. So even though Jason says he's unlucky and never can roll, um, he rolled really well to not just get the attention of the guys, but to have them give chase and then to, um, right. So yeah, before they kind of took off into the front, Part of the you know the front field in front of the barn and farmhouse, uh, Sergeant Grunts jumped out to hide into the in the barn and then set up like a an ambush because the plan was to get the uh, truck out in the open, and uh, as Jason described um, and what he wanted to do and he described this in his recap he wanted to get the truck so that it was broadsides to both uh, Grunts and to the APC, so again. And with he and Kasha in the cat in the cab of the pickup, they drive forward. He does a spin out move. Uh, Sam's character has a talent for driving. Um, like he was a, a car thief and, a I don't know, a, a driver, I guess a, a truck driver. Like I think in his past, one of his past careers in his life. Um, and he has a talent where he can drive better. So he, he used that to good effect. Um, and then they got the, um, they got the truck where they wanted and both Grunts uh, Grint's opened fire and, uh, hit, oh no, I think it was, I honestly don't remember the sequence, but I believe that various shots were fired. Um, in the end of the first round, the driver was hit and, uh, I think he uh, he kind of he crouched behind the door. Um, then grunts opened fire and shot out the tire. And Kasha shot at the passenger side who had a, a gun. And uh, he injured him. Um, he didn't lose his cool. And, but then I think when he had tried to shoot, shoot at, uh, at Sam and the pickup truck, his gun, I just rolled like a double one. His gun just like jammed up, um, unfortunately a misfire jammed up, and then when Ronson got to the in position, as Diaz got him into position with the APC, he opened up on the uh, the truck, which was a what's called a honk. It's a Polish, like one of those canvas backtop military vehicles that are pretty ubiquitous around the world, and he opened up and just holed the crap out of the uh, out of the. Uh, the truck, I think actually the, if I recall correctly, if I'm now that I'm talking about it and thinking, I believe Jonesy, uh, has his AK 74 that they had gotten previously. He, he kind of was at the top of the hill too on his bike, but he kind of let loose against the, uh, the truck and he injured the, uh, the driver. That's why the driver like slammed on the brakes and tried to crouch down, kind of lost his cool or whatever. So, so then, uh. Then the other, the, the passenger, so when Ronson opens up, he, he messes up the truck pretty bad. He hits the, like, uh, the, the fuel container, uh, part of the truck. Um, and he fires into the top of the canvas and kills somebody. He fires into the cab or the bullets kind of, if he breaks across, they get into the cab and they kill, uh, the passenger on that side. So it's pretty devastating, the people out, the people out, the re- remaining survivors in the back of the truck bail out. The next round, uh, the the driver kind of also goes to goes to ground. Um, he's shot at but missed, um, and the other guys um, who are running towards the bar now because they don't want to r- run towards the APC. Uh, Sergeant Grunts opens fire at them but doesn't hit them. But then Jonesy uh, unloads his AK-74 clip. And tags all three of them, and they all, none of them make their coolness under fire, and they drop to drop prone into the ground. Um, I think that's a cool mechanic in Twilight 2000. You know, when you get shot or you're shot at with a a high amount of bullets, you have to roll something called coolness under fire, and it's rated again from D to A, a D being a D6, A being a D12, and you have to roll a six or better. And uh, if you don't make it, then you drop prone. Um, if you're in a vehicle and the vehicle is shot up and damaged, you have to roll your coolness under fire or bail out. So that's what happened to the driver, and then those guys who'd gotten hit but not killed, they just dropped. Um, so um, effectively combat was over. Everyone kind of comes out and says "Stay down, stay down. Then they start the interrogation process. and I thought what was cool um, is they, they definitely found out a lot of information in a lot of in various ways. I think um, Jonesy opened up by killing one of these marauders. And then they interrogated one when he was a bit mouthy. They shot him. Then they worked on a last guy. And then that's when Kasha, after having knocked out the driver, got involved and was like the, played like bad cop and was a little crazy and said she wanted to slit his throat. Um, so he gave some information either inadvertently or out of spite. And uh, eventually they did. And then he eventually mentioned what Jason had talked about this Cutter or Cutler person who had betrayed um, betrayed the members of that U.S. Special Forces unit that they had come across in a previous session that had been ambushed and destroyed, and also this Cutter or Cutler or whatever, he was someone that Jason felt or remembered had, you know, been part of the monitors and attacked his farm and, and uh, caused him uh, to have this desire for vengeance so it was a it was pretty good so um not only did the person playing Jonesy but also Jason playing Sam and Amy playing Kasha got involved in the interrogations and they did find out a lot of information which was good and of course they killed this guy the only person they kept alive was the driver who it turned out was a KGB informant um Jonesy uh, figured that out after he was giving like Saying things spouting out nonsense or blathering, blabbering to save his life, um so John's like, oh that's that's this code that a secret code that you know I know of, so so it's pretty cool um their plan now is to go into Krakow uh they they learned also that the the kids that their parents had been killed, they had pissed off this warlord band um who are called the Raiders of Warsaw, and uh these guys were sent to run an errand up to this castle where this baron lives, literally like a castle where this baron lives, and try to recruit them for the warlords. Um, but and on the way back to destroy the farm, so they found that little tidbit out as well. So I think the next time they're going to go into Warsaw or into Krakow. Sorry, and um, and you know get the proper paperwork for the rest of their convoy to go in. Um, which should be pretty interesting, and then find out about who to give the Operation Reset papers to. Um, Are they going to give it to the KGB or the DIA? Um, There could be CIA involved too. So I think when they get to Krakow, it's going to be a different style of gameplay. It's not going to be keeping track of food and water and ammo necessarily. I mean, if they get into firefights in the city, I guess you're going to have to, but it's going to be more, you know, kind of intrigue post-war Uh, Noir, so to speak. So, I think it's kind of be kind of neat because they're still, you know, in the breakout phase, in my opinion. And I would say, all in all, I know this is going somewhat long, but that's kind of the gist of what happened. It was, we had a new player come in, so I felt like I had to take the time and explain to him the different options in combat. And we had an added complication of this being our first really vehicle combat. So there are some other tables you got to look up and see what happens to the vehicle when you shoot it up. Um, Jason said it was a little clunky. I, I feel I felt it was, but maybe because of those things that I just mentioned, some new modules added in, and maybe it'll work itself out. Maybe it won't. I think some people, um, it take you know you really have to think about what you're going to do, and there are options, and some people get it and some people don't. As with every game. So for example, when you're shooting, if you're firing an automatic weapon, you have the option to use quote-unquote ammo dice. And if these roll a six, then that's extra hits or extra damage. You know, extra people—you can hit extra targets in your field of fire or do extra damage, depending on what you're shooting. And not everyone takes advantage of that, and they should. Um, yes, you, you you use ammo and you can use a lot of it, but uh, you're definitely more lethal. I and mean, that's why when Jonesy fired at those three guys running across the field. He was able to hit all of them because he rolled some extra, extra sixes on his ammo dice, um, and then you count up the results of those dice, and that's how much ammo you use. So it seems pretty simplistic, but you know, it just seems an execution is not as smooth as it, smooth as it could be, and I don't know if that's my fault or just an unfamiliarity with the game and not really used to it yet. So we're gonna work on that, I think to make it go more smooth. Um, I think if we have less fights with vehicles, it'll be better and we have fights between individuals that'll work well. but I, again, I think that the skills tasks uh, mechanic is pretty good um, and we didn't do any sort of travel travel log mechanic keeping track of food and water and all that kind of stuff uh, so so it's pretty good and no one really got injured. We did. We made use of the push mechanic. We went over um, at the end of the XP and all the loot that they got. Oh, that's another interesting thing too. They discovered um, that these were part of that same group that attacked uh, the American U.S. Twenty Special Forces Twentieth because they started finding like American weapons among these guys, like a couple M16s, uh, a, a 1911 45 caliber pistol. And they started asking, hey, where'd you get these weapons? And um, that's how they found out. So so that was pretty good. It was, I think it was a good, I don't think the combat took as long, maybe, but it definitely we didn't make any progress from the location they were at because we really dove deep into the interrogation, I think, and they found a lot of information. And I think something that uh, Jason had pointed out, Jason and Amy pointed out is that really they didn't know anything about Krakow except what they heard on the radio and it could all have been, you know, very much rumor and falsehood. And now they're getting some good Intel, like real Intel on what's going on in Krakow. So um, I think it'll be awesome when they pick it up in two weeks. So something funny just happened. I guess my, one of our cats that we rescued, his name is Preacher, and he was left by some renters across the street. He is an outdoor cat. His, unfortunately, like they did like a hack job on his paws. He was declawed and left outside, uh, which is, you know, almost a death sentence to a poor animal if you don't feed it. But uh, we took him in, and he was walking by my shelf, and apparently, he wants me to run a campaign in Cobalt Midgard's. Verse in the Southlands Because he wants me to run The City of Cats Book and Adventure Because he knocked it over When he was rubbing up against it So there you go Way to go Preacher Preacher says (coughs) Jason said I shouldn't do Any more unboxings So I'm going to do a very quick Quick unripping Because it's only an envelope your standard packaging envelope. It comes from Paizo. What did Paizo send me? Take him out. Yes, it is. uh, I am a subscriber. I've been a subscriber forever. And there are two items because Paizo has suffered like many other publication companies from a backlog in getting their stuff out to their customers. So here we have um, pretty cool two of the Adventure Pass for the Strength of Thousands Adventure Path Part 3 and 4 of 6, Strength of Thousands Hurricane's Howl, which has a cool picture of a female Cyclops on the cover. It looks pretty hella scary. Um, she definitely does her crunches because she has a lot of good abs in the picture. Um, and then the other one, Secrets of the Temple City, has a, an Ent on the cover. Uh, it looks like he's flipping people off. Um, so interesting choice by Um They must have gone to the Joe Richter School of Art um, requests because they have this tree beard looking guy flipping people off. It's not a double bird like you would expect from a Eli Manning or a nine-year-old Eagles fan, but um, there you go. Two products from PiZone. And I think uh, that'll be it for the today's show. Um, I'm very glad that I was able to get this out. It's been a little bit of time. I've been trying to get out two a week, but this weekend was really busy with uh, my sister-in-law's wedding. But uh, hey, here we go. The geomologist has presented, and TJ Drennan will take us out. Thanks for the music, TJ.